Another one of the liberal humanist battle cries is the supposed violation of the separation of church and state. From Madeleine Murray O'Hara's successful campaign to keep prayer and Bible reading out of the public schools, to current attempts to make Christian speech concerning abortion and homosexuality a hate crime, we are seeing the gradual erosion of religious freedom in our country. The idea that politics and religion don't mix would have been news to Patrick Henry, Samuel Adams, John Hancock, George Washington, and many other of our nation's founders. These men often brought their so-called private religious beliefs into public policy. In fact, they made no pretense to hide the fact that their Christian beliefs were the undergirding for their political theory and action. We asked our panel, what about the separation of church and state? Does the United States Constitution forbid the display of religion in the civil sphere? If you look at the last 50 years of Supreme Court jurisprudence, if you look at Everson versus Board of Education of Ewing Township, 1947, you look at the school prayer and Bible reading decisions of the early 1960s, right up to Roe v. Wade and its companion decision, uh, uh, Doe v. Bolton. Uh, what you see is the Supreme Court of the United States reconstructing our most fundamental ideas of who we are as a nation, who we are as individuals. And what they are doing is they are institutionalizing humanism. They are saying we are the measure of all things. There is no transcendent authority. We determine ultimate questions of right and wrong, of the meaning of life. In Roe versus Wade, uh, because we don't have any scientific empirical knowledge about what constitutes a human person, we'll just make an arbitrary decision right here and right now. Let's call it at three months we have partial personhood and at nine months we have nine months and an event we have uh, full personhood. We'll just arbitrarily call it. We'll become the measure of those absolute truths. What you have is the, the enthronement of man as the measure of all things. That is humanism. Humanism is a religious concept, a, a, a religious idea uh, or, or collection of ideas. It is religious in the sense that it is based upon uh, unproven notions. Uh, just as any religious system is. So here you have humanism divorces itself from any God outside of ourselves. We become God. We become the measure of all things. We become the arbiters of right and wrong, of absolute good and absolute evil. So it's not a question again of you have your religion and I have mine. Somebody's religion has to supersede somebody else's. And if that judgment comes from the Supreme Court, for example, that says, you can believe what you want to believe, but you must contain it. They have exercised a higher authority. They have said, you can believe in Jesus Christ, but you must contain that belief within certain behavioral norms. 
and we're going to tell you how you're going to believe in Jesus Christ and how you're going to practice that belief in Jesus Christ. We will dominate your belief in Jesus Christ. We will dominate your practice of your belief in Jesus Christ. We will shape and form that. That again is usurping the authority of God. You know many people today claim that America uh, did not have a Christian beginning, that it was founded by people who were a product of the atheistic enlightenment and that Christianity had nothing to do with it. Well, those people obviously have never looked at the historical data because it's overwhelming that the Bible played a central role in the beginning of, a, of our nation, that Christianity was key to the establishment of our nation. In a number of different early state laws, you can look in the laws of the pilgrims from mid-1600s. You can look at the Connecticut Code of Law from about the same time period. The Massachusetts Body of Liberty, which the Puritans wrote in 1641, that uh, when you read those, there is specific mention of Scripture. They quoted Scripture after they listed, here are the capital offenses. And if someone murders someone, it's a capital offense, they shall be put to death, and then they gave the scripture right out of, of the Bible. Uh, a lot of those people who are trying to extirpate Christianity from our public sphere look to Thomas Jefferson as their hero. You know, here is the man who gave a separation of church and state. Here is the man who was a secularist and wanted to eliminate Christianity from public life. But anybody who looks at Jefferson's life in any depth realizes that he's the wrong person to be their champion. But Thomas Jefferson was not a secularist. Thomas Jefferson considered himself a Christian. In fact, he wrote in a letter in 1803, you know, a lot of people have imputed ideas to me that don't know what I think at all. He said, I am a Christian. Thomas Jefferson in 1777 started a church. Most people don't know that. But uh, when uh, we gained our independence, he was part of an Anglican church. He'd been a member of that church for years. He served on the vestry of that church. That was a, a leadership position. And uh, so he was a patriot. And uh, so was his minister, Charles Clay, a patriot. And so when there was the split with England, the Anglican church went its way and, and it, it was undergoing turmoil. So uh, Thomas Jefferson decided we need our own church. So he got together, drew up a letter of subscription, got some of the leading men in, in the community of, in the city of Charlottesville, Albemarle County area, and uh, started a church. He called it the Calvinistical Reformed Church. And in fact, this church met in the courthouse in Albemarle County. Many today use the First Amendment to try to say that there is freedom from religion in our public sphere instead of freedom of religion in the public sphere. That the First Amendment did not mean let's get God out of the public sector. It simply meant we should have no national church. This idea of religious neutrality is not true to our foundings. We had uh, explicit statements in various state constitutions, Maryland, Delaware, Connecticut, Massachusetts, where there were references to the Christian religion as being the one that is protected in the land. In fact, there were restrictions of office bearing, that you could not be an office holder in a state unless you held to the Christian and, more specifically, he said, the Protestant religion, that you held to the creeds in regard to the confession of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and that you believe that the Bible is the Word of God and infallible. 
If you didn't believe that, you couldn't be an office holder in various states. Now, we take today's propaganda to say there was separation of church and state means religious neutrality. <clears throat> it's just a smokescreen. It's somebody telling us, some rival telling us they're, it's the Klingon vessel using a cloaking device. It says, I'm not really here. What we have is another religion. This other religion is, is viciously intolerant. How intolerant is it? Well, Reggie White, a great pro football player, says to the Wisconsin legislature that he doesn't believe that homosexuality falls into the same category as race. Let me explain something when I'm talking about sin. And I'm talking about all sin. The one of the biggest marks that has been talked about that has really become a debate in America is homosexuality. I've often asked, have people ask me, would you allow homosexuals to be your friend? Yes, I would. And the reason I will is because I know that that person has problems. And if I can minister to those problems, I will. But the Bible strictly speaks against it. Sometimes when people talk about this sin, they've been accused of being racist. I'm offended that homosexuals were saved. And homosexuals deserve rights. Any man in America deserves rights. But homosexuals are trying to compare their plight with the plight of black men or black people. In the process of history, homosexuals have never been castrated. Millions of them never died. Homosexuality is a decision. It's not a race. We're in sin, and because this nation is in sin, God will judge it if we don't get it right. Well, that was it for Reggie. This tolerant society, this bleeding heart, let everybody do their own thing, found suddenly that they're tolerant tolerance limits were met with a statement that suggested that homosexuality is a sin. The homosexual community goes into St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York City and tosses condoms. They mock fornicate every year in their wild lascivious parades in front and they're not touched. But Christians who protest at abortion clinics are arrested and hauled off. Tolerance always has limits. Tolerance is always religiously informed, and we are not working in a tolerant system. In the case of Matthew Shepard's slaying in Wyoming, it was played up by the media to be a result of advertisements put by Christians encouraging homosexuality, homosexuals to find freedom in Christ. And they said, these loving ads, they twisted into being intolerant bastions of hate, and they're looking to kill us all. No such thing is possible. It couldn't be further from the truth. These people are, are gentle and meek and sweet, and that's very clear to anybody with an impartial view of it. I mean, you don't even have to be a Christian to see their motive. So what happened? The Intolerance Brigade came in and started their campaign against the Christian faith. No. In the public square, there will always be one religion governing what is permissible and what is impermissible. And if it's not the Christian religion, it won't be a religious gov uh, neutral government, religious neutral. It will be a government that is advocating another religion. The Constitution of the United States guarantees liberty of conscience when it says Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion nor prohibiting the free exercise thereof in the First Amendment to the Constitution, which begins the Bill of Rights. The uh, core principle underlying the First Amendment was found uh, in the writings of Thomas Jefferson and in the Virginia Declaration 
of religious liberty. Jefferson asserted correctly that to compel a man to subsidize with his taxes the propagation of ideas he disbelieves and abhors is sinful and tyrannical. Now, the states which came together to form our federal union each had religious establishments at the time of the Constitution's ratification. You had a Catholic establishment in Maryland, you had an Anglican establishment in Virginia, you had a Congregational establishment in uh, Massachusetts. In all cases, it was understood that the British common law was the core of the legal system in all of the states which came together to found the Union. And that British common law had its roots in Holy Scripture. It really began to take form under King Alfred uh, in Britain. And uh, everyone has a right to his opinion, but America got underway with a Christian legal system. And states were permitted to apply the death penalty for premeditated murder. Uh, the uh, individual could worship as he saw fit, and the federal government uh, would not interfere with his right to worship, nor would it require him to support with his taxes uh, anyone else's form of worship. What we neglect to appreciate is that uh, religion isn't just Christianity, Buddhism, Judaism, whatever. Religion is any organized body of ideas about the nature of God and man. Humanism is a religion. Uh, advocacy of homosexual conduct is in many ways a religion. Earth worship, radical environmentalism, uh, one worldism, all of these are forms of religious faith. They are belief systems which are coherent and comprehensive. And people have a right to have those opinions, but they don't have a right to require us uh, to subsidize them with our taxes. And that's why it is unconstitutional for Congress to turn over uh, our tax dollars or control over our policy to other law systems, such as those at the United Nations, the International Monetary Fund, NAFTA, the World Trade Organization. And under the principle of accountability, which is core to any system of representative republicanism, it's essential that Congress not turn over policy-setting functions to private nonprofit corporations, to bureaucrats, uh, to any kind of entity which does not have to stand for election uh, in a manner in which the voters can say yay or nay. We Christian Reconstructionists strongly support the separation of church and state. We do not support, however, the separation of the state from God. There's a vast difference. The church is under the authority of the law of God, just as the state is. We're not looking for an ecclesiocracy, the rule of the church. We're looking for a godly, decentralized theocracy, the rule of God's law. A lot of people misunderstand the Reconstructionist and the theonomic viewpoint. We certainly do not want the rule of the institutional church and society. We don't support medieval notions like that. We simply believe that the law of God should govern in society. Well, if it's not a Christian nation, it's going to be some kind of nation. Would we rather have an Islamic nation, a secular nation, uh, a Star Trek nation, a science fiction nation? There are infinite number of possibilities. Uh, there will be some religion that will be enforced in society. We believe that it should be Christianity. And when I say enforced, I mean within the narrow limits of the law of God, not a heavy top-down bureaucracy. The purpose of civil government is to enforce the law of God appropriate to its sphere. 
I think that's the way that we should frame it. Uh, we read in Romans chapter 13 about the responsibility of the civil magistrate. He is to punish civil evil and protect the righteous. So when we start talking about uh, inalienable rights, although in some sense that terminology is permissible, it's not specifically biblical. Uh, therefore, I, I think we need to go back to what the Bible specifically says, although I'm not in any way uh, attacking the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. We can have certain refinements. The idea that we are supposedly have the right to pursue the longings of our own heart is essentially a liberal idea. That's what liberals have held for all oh, the past 200 years, especially the last 50 years or so. The important thing is responsibility to the law of God and to God as our sovereign. It's a bit simplistic to think that there can be a wall between the church and the state. Uh, I think there are obviously some delineations, some demarcations of boundaries and responsibilities. Uh, uh, my problem with this statement is, is a little more fundamental that so often what people hear is a separation of faith and state. Uh, and that's ludicrous. Uh, th th there is no such separation. If you're saying that there is going to be no uh, ecclesiocracy, yes, obviously. Uh, but if you're saying that uh, your faith uh, is not going to have anything to do with how you vote, uh, or that uh, morals are not rooted in, in some kind of faith structure or system, I mean, that's, that's just that's irrational. Yeah, okay, there should be a separation between church and state and their functions. Obviously, the clear one is the church has a spiritual sword and the state has the, uh, uh, the steel sword. But you, you really cannot separate. Whenever you start legislating laws, you're legislating morality. Then the question just becomes, whose morality you know, is this based in? Somebody's God is going to rule, whether it's the Muslim, the Christian, New Age, whatever it is. Uh, whoever has the major influence, whoever, you know. Uh, second of all, I don't think that's a, a consistent uh, position with the Christian faith. Uh, Norman Geisler basically said the same thing uh, when he said that Christians do not work for a Christian nation but a free nation. That's not really true. The Bible says that we are to make disciples of all nations. And obviously a nation is not free that's out from under Christ. Uh, so yes, we are out to make it a Christian nation. Uh, I don't apologize for that. Uh, we do want it to be a Christian nation, and I think that is even uh, a good thing for non-Christians. With the early colonies, they were separatists or independents or people who maintained the form of establishment but really wanted no part of it. The Congregational Church of Massachusetts was the established church of Massachusetts and legally a part of the Church of England. They never broke with the Church of England. They actually had Church of England men in some of the pulpits. In fact, the man at Salem whose uh, family was deeply involved in the witchcraft trials was Church of England. But it was only subsequently that they came to a belief that there should be a Christian establishment 
rather than a church establishment. However, with the Constitution, it was believed that legally and on good grounds, the states, if they chose, could establish a church or several churches or simply say Christianity is the established faith, but the United States could not impose it on the states and counties. In many instances, they settled down to county-by-county county establishment. Uh, even in my lifetime, in at least much of the West with which I was familiar, you could go to a county in, uh, say, Nebraska or Minnesota, Wisconsin, all those states and everything would be controlled by a particular church, which was the dominant church in that area. It could be Catholic, it could be Lutheran, it could be Presbyterian, it could be Reformed, any number of things. They were not intolerant of each other. I know in some places when I spoke in the early and mid-40s, the priest or the nuns would ask me into the parochial school to talk about the work among Indians. Or the Lutheran pastor would have me into the public schools. He ran it. Some instances, the priests ran the public schools and the nuns taught. Nobody saw anything wrong with that. They were not intolerant one of another. It worked out beautifully on the local level, but we shattered all of that uh, because of Madeline uh, Murray and her lawsuit. You know, it's not as if this is a new thing that we're talking about. Our nation was founded under these strictures. If you go to any of the early colonial charters, and I'm thinking of the fundamental charters of Carolina, for example, there was a test for Christian orthodoxy for all civil magistrates and even landowners that they had to adhere to before they could be a recognized and vibrant part of the social fabric. We're not talking about anything that has not been done. It was done and accomplished in our nation and prior to the war between the states, uh, America prospered under such a mandate. So we're not talking about uh, uh, Ayatollah Khomeini's Iran. We're not talking about Islamic law. We're talking about biblical law. And uh, if we go back and we look and see the uh, commonwealth of the Hebrew Republic before the kings, we see a very decentralized uh, system of government. Uh, many people have the notion that Moses was a dictator, but that was only in the initial stages of the Exodus, which was primarily a military operation. But soon after that, we see that Moses was going to wear away the people. And God not only gave 70 elders, but then he talked about princes and captains of 50s and 10s. And so you had this incredibly decentralized uh, system of government among the tribes of Israel. And people could say it was inefficient, but the whole idea was a check and balance against man's depravity. We modeled our constitutional republic after the Hebrew commonwealth. That's what we're talking about here. It's interesting. The enemies of Christianity, the Bible-phobes, the Christophobes, those who say, the Christians are so dangerous, they're trying to take over the country. What do they have against us? 
that were pro-life, that were against homosexual marriage. Other than that, what do we want? We want people to control their own home. We want people to control their children's education. We want people to be able to control their retirement funds. The statist, on the other hand, who believes that the state is the Messiah and that the state is the lawgiver, government is our savior, they want to tell you what to do with your children. They want to tell you what to do with your retirement money. They want to tell you that you have to pay a property tax to live in your home or they'll take your home away from you. They want to tell you what to do with your business. They want to force you to be the government's tax collector and on and on and on. The tyranny that we are enduring today is not from Christians. It's from those who believe that the state is our savior because for the state to be our savior, it must also be our master and Lord. I believe the hour is upon us where we must stand now in the public square, in government, according to the principles of the law of God. I mean, people look at how bad things are around us and things are bad, but it's also an opportunity because what we're seeing is the collapse of humanism. We're seeing the chaos of that worldview. And if we would step onto the playing field, we can win because we have solutions that are tried and true. Their solutions are all failures. They've got a house of cards and the house of cards is on fire. So let's stand for what is right. Let's use the opportunities that are before us to stand for the law of God, to stand for Christ. And I believe if we will do it, that God himself will honor our efforts and America can be restored. America can be free again. The constitutional distinction between church and state is very different from the idea being promoted in our day. The very phrase, separation of church and state, is misleading. It's not a constitutional phrase at all, but it came afterward in the writings of Jefferson. The Danbury Baptist letter written by Jefferson in 1802 contains the celebrated phrase, a wall of eternal separation which the United States Supreme Court and other courts have used to interpret the Founders' intentions regarding the relationship between civil government and religion. But most have taken Jefferson's intent out of context. Jefferson's intent was to assure Baptists in the state of Connecticut that their right to free worship would never be infringed upon by the federal government. The First Amendment states that Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion nor prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Yet modern judges have prohibited the free exercise of Christian beliefs in the public sphere. The very idea of having a wall of separation originated as a Puritan distinction between the spheres of authority of church and civil government. The church and the state are separate spheres of governmental authority. Separation of church and state does not mean separation of the civil sphere from God and God's law. The issue is not whether the church should intrude on the state's affairs. The church should not. Neither should the state intrude on the church's affairs. But Jesus Christ intercedes in the affairs of both. Civil government is not secular. It stands under the moral law of God. The First Amendment of our Constitution was designed to keep the United States federal government from establishing a national church. This was mainly a response to the English who had imposed tax-supported high Anglican clergymen on some of the Puritan colonies prior to the Revolution. But the First Amendment was never designed to limit the role of the church in the public sphere. This was the understanding of most American legislators until the 20th century.